Well, happy Friday Eve and good evening to all of you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the We Shall Not Sleep podcast. For those of you listening on SoundCloud, that's where we're hosted. I appreciate it, whether it's on our YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcast. We're just grateful that you've taken some time aside this evening or whenever you are listening to it to just make room for us. We really appreciate that. It's something I do not, not take for granted. And I do this for the one, the one person whose life might be maybe a little bit in turmoil, might just need to pick me up or just wants to be challenged. This whole reason why we have this podcast is to maybe add some insight, reveal some things, a different perspective maybe on some spiritual matters and really just calling us out of this lull, out of this apathy maybe of saying, hey, we shall not sleep like others do. We, we are people not of the night, but of the daytime. And you have this metaphor uh, throughout Thessalonians. And this is something that Paul has used many times. And it's really the basis of this entire podcast is the idea that, hey, we shall not sleep. We shall, we shall not be in our slumber. We should not uh, be lazy. We need to be vigilant and awake and, and alert because if we are trying to move about in the nighttime, there's a lot of things What's that age-old phrase that a lot of creatures that go bump in the night, uh, and there are a lot of distractions, a lot of temptations that happen at nighttime when we are designed to be asleep and away from all of that. You know, my dad, who was a police officer growing up, said, you know, nothing really good happens after midnight for the most part. And there's those statistics about, you know, after midnight, so many people, cars you pass, like there's people who are under the influence of something. And that's only increased with uh, different, uh, what do I want to say, different substances that you can take now for medication or a lot of other things that, that are now made more available in our Western society. So all of that goes in the, into this, this point that it can be dangerous when you can't see very well. Uh, you, we think about this, you know, especially here as we, we get to a point where we're going to fall back here in the United States and go uh, with the time change here. In about four weeks, we'll be jumping an hour backwards in time, and it'll be getting dark basically as soon as we all get out of work. And it's unfortunate. I hate it because I'm a runner and I love running after work, and it just becomes difficult. You got to wear a lot of reflective clothing. But I digress. The reason why I say all this is because it can be difficult to drive at night if you're having trouble seeing, even. I don't mean to just explain this to death, but there's just so many areas out there that. Uh, we can relate to in our way of life today when it comes to darkness. So that, again, that's just kind of the, the premise. That's the whole point of this podcast. But anyway, I wanted to share just a brief thing. I've been going through First Corinthians with my congregation. It has been an incredible trip thus far. It truly has been an enlightening experience. It's very challenging uh, as well, trying to lead people through some very controversial and deep theological topics that Paul brings up. And this goes back to a message that I preached on Mother's Day. It was actually, it was for mothers. That's what I, I talked about on Sunday. And I also talked about it on the podcast. It was just how Bathsheba and the fact that she had been a victim of so much uh, horrific violence, uh, narcissism, pride, and all. And there's a lot more vile things you could probably label David's actions. But at the end of time, you know, she ultimately gives birth to a son, uh, Solomon, who becomes the wisest king ever and the king who has ever had the most uh, land, wealth, 
things ever, right? And Solomon later is depicted in the Bible of as bowing down before his mother and giving her a seat right next to his throne. And then later, King Lemuel, which we believe is a pet name for Solomon, he writes Proverbs 31, and it's this woman who can do anything. And I just like to think that that's what he was describing was his own mother, this this woman who was nothing but a victim, who was trying to do her uh, daily daily walk and was plucked from her existence by the king and then unfortunately used and abused. And look what God did. It's an amazing story. Well, this past week, covering the first half of 1 Corinthians 15, it's a little bit of an apology that, that Paul gives. See, Paul starts going over his defense as, with the validity of the resurrection. And part of that was explaining to people like, hey, go ask these people, essentially. They're still alive. He first appeared to Cephas, and then, um, and then to the disciples, and then to 500 brothers and sisters, and then lastly, me. And what he doesn't do there is he doesn't live, uh, le- he leaves out purposely the gospel accounts. This is almost like it was N.T. Wright argues a negative response because in the court of law, you have to remember, uh, there only certain people had validation in the eyes of a court and, and as far as testimony, and women were not among them, unfortunately. And it's just a, a sign of the times back then. And What's interesting is that we have our gospel accounts, Matthew, Martin, Luke, and John, and they all have different variations of the same stories that that Christ first appeared to the women. The women are the ones that believe, and it was their testimony that leads them to tell the disciples. And the disciples were like, no, that's not true, right? And, and so basically this idea, if you were trying to really swoon over people. You're trying to pull a fast one over them. You would never include women in the foundational documents because you'd either have to be crazy or it would have to be true. Because if you're trying to add validity to your argument that Jesus resurrected, because remember, people didn't just come back from the dead you know, 2,000 years ago. We, they knew just then that people died just as much as we do today. And so when, when Christ is proclaimed to have been risen, there was an understanding that he was dead. They put him in the tomb. There was a, there was a stench that, that they were afraid of. Like, he was dead, dead. Three days. There's no doubt about it. Well, now you have Paul saying, well, even if, you, even if there's these gospel accounts, guess what? There's other people who are still alive, some of which have fallen asleep, but you can go ask them. Go and ask them. Ask me. If you, if you don't believe me, you still have Cephas, you still have the disciples, you still have the 500 brothers and sisters. Go and ask them if you don't believe us. And that's the thing is that uh, N.T. Wright points this out, that if, if he was just trying to pull a fast one over on people, they would have turned over the leadership to somebody else. Because cults like that, if the cult leader dies, either the movement is uh, ends there, or there's a new leader selected to carry on the tradition. Well, one of the people that was really close was his blood brother, James. Well, why didn't they select James? He was considered a wise teacher. He was considered the Messiah's brother, but they never considered him to be the Messiah. No one picked up the mantle after Jesus. And yet the followers 
you know, years after Jesus' death are being martyred themselves, proclaiming that Jesus resurrected, and they have these women that are testifying to it that are in their foundational documents that they're going to protect with their lives. Does that not add a little bit of validity versus any other cult, any other religion um, that is required people a sacrifice to, to keep it alive? Like, I would suggest yes. So is the resurrection trustworthy? I would say absolutely it is on just on that. Forget the faith. Just look at the evidence and, and how the Gospels came about and what Paul is writing here to the Corinthian believers. It's rather fascinating because, again, if you are trying to trick people, you want to be able to give them the most credible argument, but then you still can't force people at the same time to die for it. And certainly they're not uh, putting forth the most direct, most defensible in court by any means. Because again, the women, and what does this mean? Is that the women in the religion and the belief system of Christianity have a voice. They have a very powerful voice because the egalitarian view, again, from scripture is equal in God's eyes. Both made in God's image, with differences, with biological differences, different gifts and talents, of course, but equal. Of equal value, and the voice just as important. And that's what I'm going to leave with you today. This, this thing, this debate can go on for a long time. Denominations have argued about the authority of women in church for a long time. You know, I'm part of a tradition that allows women to preach, allows women to teach, and I'm also a belief that we need to listen to them, listen to the women. And yes, in 1 Corinthians, he essentially tells the women, you need to sit down and shut up. But he was talking to people who didn't have access to education who were trying to take over the educated people. That was a letter written to that specific church having that specific problem. Just like it was 2,000 years ago, each of the 13 Pauline epistles have 13 different recipients and therefore, well, not 13 different recipients in the cases of uh, first and second, first and second uh, Thessalonians and Corinthians. But if you have 13 letters written to different churches, they have different problems going on just like today. Pluck the random 13 Protestant churches in the United States. Do they all have the same issues? Or are they different people speaking different languages in different towns with different maybe laws or edicts or however you want to call it, right? So those letters deserve that type of introspection, in my opinion. And this is one of those things that, you know, Paul can say, hey, by the way, women, in a way, you know, have a voice. I'm going to defend the gospel, but I'm not going to tarnish the gospel's message at all. And the fact that the women are the ones that appeared. But also at the same time, you know, if there's women who are uneducated, for anyone for that matter, like, hey, sit down, please. Like, it, it, they both are not in opposition to one another. It takes time. But remember, women, you have a voice. You have a wonderful and powerful voice that's given to you by God. Discernment and wisdom is always needed and when and how we use it. But that's for everyone. And therefore, with all this, we can trust the resurrection. It's a little bit of apology, encouragement to women. You know, an apology for the resurrection if you never thought about it this way. Again, I'd encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 15 and then all the gospel accounts. And you can look at the beautiful things that God has done uh, with women in the message. So I hope that adds a little bit of insight. I appreciate you all listening tonight. May God bless you and may God keep you.